3: Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to review the defense from that game against the Browns, a very tough in-division loss to an to a admittedly tough Browns team, but one that uh, the Ravens thought they had well in hand. Here to talk about it with me is Bo Smoker of Pressbox.
4: Bo, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me.
3: Uh, always a pleasure, Bo. Longtime Baltimore sports guy. We we're just talking a little bit of the production meeting about that, uh, covering the Ravens since 2011, 11, 2011, but the Cundiff year, as you put it, uh, and been in Baltimore since 1999.
4: That is correct. Yep. My first, my first year, I was up there in New England and watched that kick from Cundiff. And then, of course, the ne- and I listened to Ray Lewis and Evans and all the people that night. And then, of course, the next year, they ended up going to the Super Bowl. There you go. So I, I we were at
3: that game, of course, and and the first thing I thought was that Evans had caught the ball. And so I'm jumping up and down and saying we we, you know, we were in the Super Bowl. And then my wife turns to me and goes, No, he didn't hold on. <laughs> and uh, Yeah,
4: that I you know, I still remember all of that so well. And and I still contend the Ravens were a little the, the whole thing was rushed leading to the kind of field goal, and it didn't need to be. And it just but I will always argue. I get in arguments with people all the time. I contend it wasn't a drop by Evans. The defender made the play on the ball. That's how I've yes. always viewed it. I mean, yeah, Evans could have been a more aggressive. He could have, he could have pulled it in. But when you look at drops, like I mean, I'm old enough to remember I think it was Jackie Smith in the Super Bowl wide open, dropped the ball. This was not a drop of the ball. The defender made a play on the ball. But anyway, that is a totally different story than the Browns game this week. Yeah, that very much so. Uh well.
3: One of the really bad losses in team history in terms of blown leads. Unfortunately, we've gotten kind of used to this over the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of teams getting, a lot of leads getting away late a, against the Ravens. Perhaps more concerning are the injuries to Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey. And I know you were at Harbaugh's uh, presser today. What kind of update would we get on those two?
4: Well, I mean, Harbaugh's typically not going to go as much. He called them day-to-day. Um, but again, day-to-day is different when you play in four days. And watching either both of them come off the field and uh, they they did an injury report that Monday on on, on a Thursday night, they do just a very preliminary kind of basic walkthrough and they don't even practice. And so when they do an injury report that day, they say it's estimated on what would have been practice. And so on their estimated report, they didn't have, they had both uh, Humphrey and Stanley missing practice. I would be surprised if either of them play against the Bengals, um, especially Stanley. I mean, Stanley was really looking a lot of pain when he came off the field. Humphrey, uh, I know others had reported, some people were worried it was an Achilles. Other people said it was a calf bruise, but they both looked uncomfortable. Harbaugh called them day-to-day. You know, maybe they could go this week. I would be shocked. So yeah, they're notable. I mean, they're big injuries. And And the other thing was not only Stanley, but they also didn't have Morgan Moses this past week. And he had practiced all week. But then missed the game. So it's hard to gauge whether he would be there. But, you know, if this is a team that's missing both tackles, that's an issue. Now, the Bengals are going to be banged up, too. And let's face it, I mean, no one likes these Thursday games right there. These teams pound each other on Sunday. They just, this is the NFL. It's, I mean, I cannot explain to you or express. For people that don't like, and I'm not on the sideline during games. I've been on the sideline a couple of times during preseason games and just mm-hmm. even in preseason games. When you're on the sideline during even a preseason game, the contact, it sounds like a car wreck every play. Mm-hmm. So these guys go at this for 110, 120 snaps or whatever it is on a Sunday And then they tell them to get in the ice tub, get massage. You're playing again on Thursday. You can see why their players hate it. So, yeah, the Ravens are banged up for this Thursday game, coming especially right off to a really physical divisional round game. I think right away when the schedule came off and I saw back-to-back divisional games. Now, they're both at home, but you play Sunday divisional game, Thursday divisional game. These AFC North games are ferociously physical. And so two things, I, yeah, I, 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 about that. The the first is that
3: um, I, I analyze the schedule every year in a, in a separate uh, model that I run. But the but the home Thursday games are an enormous advantage. So I know the players don't like them, but they also know they have to play one per year. Correct. So if you have to play it at home, yeah, that's the that's the place to play it. After you have to play it at home after a home game, that's the place to play it. Uh, at least. In terms of how the schedule is arranged, tremendously favors the Ravens to play Cincinnati, a big divisional game. And again, they should have an enormous advantage in just because of the scheduling point of it. It doesn't really show up currently in the money line, by the way, but uh, a big advantage from that. And, you know, I I think the one thing I would look at this is the notion that the NFL could flex Thursday games is reprehensible. Absolutely reprehensible. Squeeze a few more dollars. I
4: don't even, I'm, as a, from the fans point of view, I hate the idea of even flexing to the night games. And Uh I, yeah, I agree with you. Flexing to Thursday is almost inconceivable. It's not safe. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a horrible idea. And I know they don't want games like the bears and the Panthers in their national Thursday (laughs) window. And they want to be able to flip that out of there and get a better game on Thursday night, but it's, reprehensible is a very good word for it. No doubt about it, but you're right. I mean, if you've got to, you, every, and John Harbaugh said that today, he said, look, we, er, the players all know they got to play one a year and you definitely want to have it at home and you want to have it against the divisional team. You've already prepared for, mm-hmm. they've already studied the Bengals. They already know them. They know them as well as anyone. So that all of that does go in their favor. Getting back to the injuries, but it means those guys are probably not going to play after getting hurt four days earlier. But the Bengals also have guys that got hurt Sunday, and they also have to play in four days, and they have to travel to get here.
3: Yeah. So both, both their edges out for the or presumed to be out for this next game Hendrickson and Hubbard, both of whom yep. are, are Ravens killers.
4: Yep. Uh, and T Higgins, T Higgins is a problem, and he's probably out. And Jamar Chase isn't fully healthy. So, I mean, All I guess I'm saying is that the injuries are absolutely going to be a factor for the Ravens, but they're also absolutely going to be a factor for the Bengals. And it goes also to the Browns game. I mean, people want to complain about the Ravens being down Stanley and Moses. The Browns were down three tackles, basically. Mm -hmm. So it does cut both ways. And there will be guys hurt on both teams. And this is just a war of attrition that is the NFL. There you go.
3: So the Humphrey injury, particularly serious for the Ravens, when he was in the game, they'd allowed just six points defensively, 4.3 yards per play over 43 defensive snaps. When he was out of there, 6.0 yards per play um, on the other 31 snaps. That excludes a kneel in there. So basically, Yassine replaced Humphrey in the first half for one drive where they scored a field goal. And then he was in for all of the scoring in the second half. And I'm excluding the pick six that they that they scored on. But all the scoring in the second half when they scored 24 and answer points 17, you know, against the defense without being stopped. um, That was all Rock Yassine
4: who was in there at the end of those drives. Right. And I, I will say, you know, so remember, Marlon Humphrey was already questionable for this game. And we watched him warming up. The players, when the game game starts, the morning of the game, and I don't know how many fans go, uh, before the gates even open, and I'm often down there for a 1 o'clock game, I often get to the stadium about 10, 15, or 10, 30, and the gates haven't really opened yet. And by the time I get up to the press box, there are usually a handful of players on the field, even doing like a pre, pre, pre warm up. But one thing that always happens at that time, that's when you'll often have the questionable players on the field working with a trainer. And so that morning, I saw Humphrey working with the trainer, going through his, because again, he was already questionable with his hamstring, I believe it was. And you're watching him move and watching him cut and he looked decent. And even at that point, you still don't know if he was going to be active for the game. And so he looked good. He was active the game starts and i didn't realize that humphrey wasn't in the game and, or he took a series off or maybe it was two mm-hmm. series off but it didn't strike me that he was not in the game until they threw right at rocky yassine and i think they threw right at rocky yassine as soon as humphrey was not in the game and so of course later humphrey goes out with a different injury and then H- yassine replaces him and they continued to attack him And so it was clear that, yeah, once they were, they dialed in once Humphrey was out of the game, that was where they were going to attack. And, and I, it makes sense. You, you, it's a big drop off. It was interesting because early in the year, Darby was the one that was playing in in place of Humphrey. Those first couple games when Humphrey didn't, you know, he hurt his foot in the summer, he got his, this foot surgery that sat him out for the first month or so. And Darby was playing a lot, but Yassim... In the summer, I remember them talking about Yassine was a good addition. They expected him to move in there. And then he was also hurt this summer for a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I noticed I noticed as soon as Humphrey went out, even in that series, the first half you reference, uh the, the Browns went right at him.
3: The, the, the Darby thing like was a little confusing to me too, but when I thought about it with Williams in the game, we're going to talk about him in just a couple minutes here. Uh, obviously a huge tackling problem for him. Humphrey was a very physical corner and losing him as a, as, a, as a downhill tackling player was a very serious loss in this game. And I think maybe that's the reason they went with Yassin after, over Darby. Yassin, the more physical corner of those two. Uh, Darby is probably the better coverage player at this point. But uh, but Yassine gave them a little bit physically in terms of downhill play. They thought they might maybe needed uh, rather than play 11 versus 10 football.
4: Yeah, that's possible. That's a that's a good theory. But I did notice, like I said, as soon as my first notice of Yassine being in the game on that first series, he spelled for Humphrey because I think it was the first game Humphrey came back. If I remember, it was maybe at Pittsburgh and they. They, they seem to have him on a pitch count, and he was in a series, out of a series, mm-hmm. in a series, out of a series. I thought maybe they were going to do that again, but it struck me. I noticed Yassine for the first time when they threw right at him, and I think they did it twice in a row, if I'm not mistaken, because it was obvious that they, that they saw him there.
3: All right, so uh, definitely, definitely a big drop-off there. The other thing that just happened all game, there's, there's a number of assignment breakdowns in this game. One thing I, I look at, uh, particularly the broadcast video by the way is very good for this you don't always get this on the all 22 cuz it chops off as soon as the play's over right but if you if you look at the broadcast video you'll often see a lot of the post play emoting which goes on between defensive players that's an outstanding way to figure out what assignments were blown on a play so sometimes you get the good emoting, and Marlon Humphrey. The only catch he gave up the whole day was a little five-yard whip route, and he basically ran himself out of the play by running into somebody else's zone to follow the receivers. I figured it was it might have been Queen next to him, so he ran into his zone, and then he and then he quickly tried to get back, but it was too late, and the guy the there'd been a five-yard completion on the catch. Well, almost no cornerback can cover a whip route period, in the NFL these days. The wide receivers are just cut too quickly, and you just can't do it in man coverage. But you can do it in zone coverage when you're at the proper depth there. And Queen was the guy who had to help from that side. Humphrey had to be on the, on the, the side closer to the boundary. Humphrey, immediately after the play, hits his head on, on, on helmet on both sides. And you know that exactly what the coverage was supposed to be under those circumstances that he ran himself out of that route.
4: No, you, you it's good point. I, I didn't go back and watch the broadcast video side, but you do. I I often watch and, and in, in, the, in the I don't go to all the road games, but road or home when you're when you're there, it, you have just absolutely watch for the reaction of players. And mm-hmm. you can tell when they know someone screwed up and you can tell by the reaction of the player. They know you can tell which one screwed up or which one was supposed to be there. But, yeah, the reactions are are very telling. And anytime that players
3: are together and they're talking to each other after a play, they're usually talking about somebody. But watch the guy who pulls his mouthpiece out; he's the one who's got something to say to the other guy. The other guy usually is like, "Let's let's deal the next hand," and he's, he, he wants to talk about the last play. So we we noticed one time, and this was on the touchdown pass where Williams was on what yasin Williams was in the end zone. It was a very crowded end zone on the left side, by the way. Elijah Moore caught the ball out at the two yard line and mm-hmm. then danced into the end zone. But that was yasin's area, Yassine's receiver to be covering. And Williams let him know after the play, uh, it was very clear from his reaction that that, uh, that that was a missed assignment. I'll just say one other was was uh, Ro- Roquan getting on Queen uh, for a missed assignment as well in the middle of the field. I don't have an exact time on that, but it is in my article if you're interested and you want to go back and look at some of these post-play reactions.
4: No, I didn't. I'd have to go back and look. But yeah, and I remember that it was a lot of traffic down near the goal line on that play and the Ravens just looked disorganized right there and and the Browns had all you know it was just it didn't feel right at the time the Browns the Browns were had had the Ravens defense on their heels anyway so you know credit to Watson for kind of executing the way he did especially in that second half
3: yeah they certainly they figured out all the all the pressure looks and we'll get to this a little bit later that that uh, were being thrown at them and Watson was very effective then at, at decoding what was going on and um, he's probably a pretty good hot read quarterback, but he'd had a terrible year so far this year under pressure. And so I think the idea that what McDonald's using was, well, I'll throw out my usual bag of tricks and I'll see if I can get pressure. And if I can, great. If I can't, maybe I have to do some other things to get pressure, but Watson really kind of figured it out. And actually where he, he had the biggest trouble was when they just gave him all day in the pocket. He, he was three of nine for nine or yeah, I think it was three of nine for nine yards let me get, make sure I'm ready about. that. It. No, he's three of nine for 27. So three yards of play. Um.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, <clears throat> I just, I watched Watson and, and, you know, we knew kind of who he had been this year and remember he, he completed one of his first nine yeah, and a couple of those, a couple of those were not close and you're thinking, wow, he's just, he's just something's just not in sync here, which is good for the Ravens bad for the browns but this is kind of what they had seen from Watts. and then late in the first half i forget to play down he looks he looked like he was re- he came off the pile flexing his knee he was clearly uncomfortable mm-hmm. and not feeling good at all and then there was question even in the, the cleveland people sit right next to me in the press box and you could hear them questioning whether he would even come out to play the second half And I don't know if they shot him up at halftime to numb his foot or whatever it was. I did read later that he left the stadium in a walking boot. Um, Mm -hmm. But he was clearly uncomfortable, but he's also, I mean, I, I give him credit. He was, he battled through a lot of pain and he was tough. He was tough in the second half of that game. And, you know, he, he's playing on a bad foot. He still had that. We'll talk about it later. We still that scramble late that got them in field goal position. And um, so again, he's, I thought all along the only way the Ra- the Browns win that game is if they get kind of a vintage Deshaun Watson from previous years. And that guy hadn't shown up for the Browns yet this year, and he showed up in the second half. Yeah, at halftime,
3: I was going to say that's about when he showed up. He didn't even play the last play the first half. That was P.J. Walker on the field to throw the ball into the end zone or try to. He actually, even from the 42-yard line. He could not position himself with ample time and space because he had forever on that play to, to maneuver around the backfield. He could not get his pass to the end zone.
4: I just- saw that. <laughs> I was struck by that. At the time, I thought, well, maybe they don't think Watson can get it there, so they're mm. going to make this change for this play. Maybe maybe they think Walker has a bigger arm, and I know he backed up, he backed up, he backed up, then he stepped up, and mm-hmm. he chucked it. But you're right. It. I don't know. Stone probably would have had another interception if Hamill didn't crash into him. But either way, it was at the like six, seven-yard line, maybe, five-yard yeah. line, but it was not in the end zone. Yeah,
3: really uh, really an oddball kind of a thing. Tons of missed tackles for the Ravens. I, I don't think we need to go into all of that. I, one thing I was kind of impressed by is the fact that Patrick Queen tweeted out after the game, you're going to get much better from me next time, much better than that BS today, or whatever. Is I'm not paraphrasing his quote slightly. But taking ownership of a game like that is the professional move. And kind of the only move. And we've seen Patrick Queen do a lot of things on Twitter that haven't always been super adult, I'll say.
4: Um, well, I, I, he blocked me on Twitter after the draft, so I would agree with that. Uh, I don't know what he, what I did that got him mad, maybe because I asked uh, – I asked. I think it was I asked Eric Cost about his option year, and I thought it was an innocuous question. But I don't know. Sometime after that, he blocked me on Twitter, and I did. And I asked all the other guys on the beat. I said, "Hey, did Patrick Queen block you too?" No, none of them, just me. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. But I've talked to Queen since then. It's he, he's fine. But yeah, I'll say this too. And to your point, I think they are accountable. Um, and I, you know, when I wrote after the game and that I thought they got beat on all three levels of the defense, and people took a shot at me and said. Well, you know, the defense did this. Jackson threw a pick six. The defense played well enough to win. If the offense does more, they win. It goes both ways. I agree. If the offense does more, yeah, they probably win. But I guarantee you, let's, to, to, to hear your point about Queen, and I didn't see that tweet, but I'm not surprised by it, but talking to Brandon Stevens, talking to Matt Abike, talking to Kyle Hamilton, there wasn't one defensive player that thought they played well enough to win. And so uh, it, it, yeah, they, they, the defense did have issues. And so it's correct. If, if, if they can, if they don't get a field goal block, if Lamar Jackson doesn't throw a pick six, they still probably win, but the defense was not pleased with how they played and, and they shouldn't have been.
3: Yeah. It's I I'm trying to find it right now, but I, I, I don't think I'm going to do it. If I, if I, if I do find it, I'll come back to it. Um, one thing I want to talk to you a little bit about is the Marlin is the not the Marlon, the Marcus Williams situation. Uh, obviously, still playing with one arm, uh, is not able to tackle at this point. I, I saw by the way. PFF had him with one missed tackle. I, I'll say that that's a lack of engagement in the tackling process is the only way you could get to one miss tackle on on what he had during that game. He he was trying to basically herd. Offensive players towards the sidelines or towards other Ravens who could make a tackle. He he, he, he had his shoulder to work with. He had one arm to work with, but uh, he couldn't. He, it did not appear he could wrap up in the, in the situation he was in.
4: Uh, no, he absolutely could not. And it is funny. I didn't notice that it was charged with one missed tackle, but you're right. Basically, he ran alongside people. Hurting it is a good way to put it. And yeah, remember... So Marcus Williams gets hurt. He hurts his pec in first or second game. He's out for three or four weeks. He comes, and and at the time, you know, a pec will often be an IR move. They decide not to put him on IR. They think he'll be back later in the season. He came back, I think, more quickly than people thought he would. But even when he came back, you could tell he wasn't able to use his arm. There was a play at, I think it was at Pittsburgh, where he kind of Dove with one arm to break up a pass. And it was a nice play to break up the pass. But if he has two hands, he's, he's probably intercepting that ball. So right then you knew that his arm wasn't quite right. And, but he, you know, he wanted to play. He's, he's a ferocious competitor. That's fine. But then he gets hurt again and he's out again. So this was the first game back after, I think, three more weeks out. And clearly he wanted to be out there and the team wanted him out there. But it became quickly apparent that he just couldn't tackle. He can't use his left arm. And when you have a guy like Njoku catching ball over the middle field and you got to tackle him and you can't use your left arm, that's a problem. And I remember on one of those plays, he just kind of ran alongside Njoku, hoping someone else would come make the play. And so I asked John Harbaugh today about him. I said, is this guy – look, he can't use his left arm. Is he a liability? And I asked John that today, and he said, well – He's getting stronger. He's getting more range of motion. He's got this brace he wears, and that limits what he can do with his arm. All of that is fine, and I, I I don't dismiss any of it. I do think he's probably getting stronger. I do think his range of motion is getting better, but he, until it's a certain threshold, he's hurting the team being out there because he can't make tackles, and this game is called tackle football. So I... I, I I don't dismiss his will to play and his competitive drive and any of that, but I have to think the Ravens watch the film of that game and say, "Wow, he he can't tackle. He played all but one snap against the uh, Browns," and and I, I'm I'm really kind of surprised by that. I would have thought. Yep. That they could see live what everybody saw live, which is the Williams. You mentioned he, he doesn't engage. He was not engaging with tackles. And when you're not engaging with tackles, the guy with the ball is going forward until someone else does engage with tackles.
3: <laughs> there's, and there's so the, 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 the players who really mess that up for you on the Browns are Ford is a heavy runner. They have an offensive line that creates a lot of level two opportunities for con- first contact anyway. Then you've got a you know a running back who's basically a power between the tackles guy primarily a little bit of a slasher but he's mostly a power guy, and if he gets on linebackers he can sometimes run their through their tackles so he's not going to be of any use otherwise. And Ajoku, you know, you made the point that he was running along with him once, but Njoku, they were using the screen game a lot, a lot of tight end screens, and I think part of that was run right at Williams. It didn't have even have to be on his side of the field, frankly. Um, they're playing a man short. At level three. I,
4: you know, gar- I guarantee you, if he is on the field against Cincinnati, the Cincinnati plan is run right at Williams. Mm-hmm. There's no question about it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, he's right. It's a it's just kind of a scary thing. I actually don't think that's gonna happen. I did notice Warley is on the injury report again, which just sucks. Uh as a questionable with a hamstring. He was active for this game, so I would have thought he'd have been in there for some, but they never saw a fit to make that move. To me, McDonald has done a lot of things right this year, and I don't think that's a Harbaugh decision. I think it's a McDonald decision. I, I don't know why you don't make that change after you see what Williams is doing on the field and what the Browns are trying to do. I mean, that that, that combination of things, Stone is, a, is, is the guy who filled in for Williams last year fairly well, and Worley is a guy who certainly is capable of playing the back end, as we've seen for about two full games now, um, uh, of split field safety play. It's not where he came up, but it is it's what he plays now. Seems to be pretty good at it. Good tackler at the very least. Unbelievable in that first preseason game. He took over the game. Uh, but a, a guy who who seems to be fine at it, and then you get a hyper-impactful Hamilton to play up at the line of scrimmage, impact the run game, and and do some of the other things he did. Rush the passer.
4: Yeah. And I mean, I, I, honestly, when you watch Williams, I, I do agree with you. I think it was a McDonald choice. I mean, McDonald's, I think ultimately going to have the personnel choices there. And it's funny. We normally in a week, we would get, this is a, a short week. We don't get to talk to the coordinator. So we won't hear from McDonald until next week. It's a fair question to ask him like, what, what, what are you doing with Williams out here? Because even you mentioned Worley, I mean, Worley, For a guy who used to be a cornerback and was, frankly, a fringe cornerback special teamer, and then this spring and summer, he decided to make the full-time move to safety and has done fairly well there. You mentioned he was really good in that one preseason game. And with William's sideline, there were those times when they moved Hamilton to the slot and they played Stone and Worley at safety, and they seemed comfortable with that. So that is a much better solution right now than having Williams out there who can't use one arm. And the other option, of course, is you put Hamilton and Stone deep and you have Mollette or someone else at the slot. Well they um, always
3: they always have that one, of course. Here's here's yet another one is you put Worley in on running downs and you put um Williams back in on obvious passing downs and you take the risk of the of the screen pass obviously on the on those ones But you have him out there. If you want to set an extra center fielder on that, and that's really worked for the Ravens this year, do you want to to have another really tough back end where you're able to defend the sticks well in the air? Or are you so concerned about the Joe Flacco passes beating you, meaning the ones that are short of the sticks, and he's forcing somebody to run for a first down?
4: Uh, If I were, I mean, I'm just telling you, if I were the Bengals right now, every time I see Williams on the field, I'm going (laughs) right at him.
3: Yeah, there you go. Well, they have the they certainly have the size to do that. You know, another thing that impacted the Ravens in this game is they lost the snap count very decisively, 75 to 50 for the game. And obviously, you know, they they it was worse than that, really, because the second half, the Bengals crammed all of their plays into three drives because they had to pick six, didn't didn't have a drive really. So all of their plays were spread across three drives. It was probably about fifty plays. Now, it was it's less than that. It was probably about 40, 42 plays, something like that. But anyway, if they're running you know, 13, 14 plays per drive, um, that's worse because it's really consecutive snaps without a break that really wears down defenders, whether it's defensive line, whether it's like, your cover guys. It's oftentimes your pass rushers have the hardest time with it. Uh, Merlin Olson had a quote from way back when that there's nothing more tiring on earth than rushing the passer. Uh, and having to do it again and again is is a lot harder for the defender than it is for the offensive lineman.
4: I mean, that last drive, the drive that ended with a Hunt touchdown run, that was a ten minute drive. And I did, I meant to go back today and look, but I can't remember the last time the Ravens defense gave up a ten a drive that lasted ten minutes. So yep. seventeen plays, ten minutes. So it was basically almost the entire third quarter. Mm-hmm. And so and I remember right after that I think man the Ravens better get a first down or two once they get the ball back these guys are gassed. Um, yeah,
3: Incredibly it was only 35 plays in the second half but it was 17-6 and 12. The 6 play drive they did they didn't even stop for a cup of coffee they just breezed down the field 6 yards 6 yep. plays 56 yards. Uh, just so much me, fun yeah, to go over this again.
4: <laughs> it was I mean that to me, that struck me I'm like watching being there and watching it live, it didn't even strike me maybe because you know tweeting and this is going here yeah, watching that, and this guy's hurt and watching it didn't even I didn't even realize at the time that drive lasted more than ten minutes, but I did realize that the Browns felt like they were finally in a rhythm, and the and the Ravens defense was on its heels, um but yeah, ten minute drive. and so like I said, I just think overall. Overall, the whole game, I thought the Browns were just more physical. They were just more physical throughout, and and I know I wrote the one thing today about I thought there was the borderline cheap shot on Lamar Jackson on the sideline. Maybe it should have been paul maybe it shouldn't have been, and it didn't get flagged. And when you look at it again, Lamar jackson's kind of turning up field, so you can understand why it wasn't called. They hammered him out of bounds. I'm sure the Ravens are telling Lamar Jackson, "Look, you cannot on a you, what's the gain there? You're trying to get to the sticks. I get it, but." He got popped. The Browns loved it. And I just thought the Browns were more physical. They just came out with the idea. They just, you look at those Njoku plays, and part of it is, yeah, the Ravens have a guy, you said it's 11 on 10. They're not tackling. They're one guy who can't tackle. And so th- they just pushed the piles forward. Njoku carried Geno Stone a couple times. Uh, it, they were just more physical. And that leads to a 10-minute drive.
3: The Ravens, uh, during the game, and obviously it wasn't until the end, really, in the fourth quarter that they lost Ronnie Stanley, but they they replaced him with a very non-physical player in Daniel Falele. Now, Falele is is just about the biggest man in the entire NFL, but he also has absolutely no independent hand usage. There's no single flipper action from him um, in terms of really trying to punch and use some of that size effectively. He's much more of a positional, passive blocker. Patty Caker, as I say, um, really hurt on each side of the ball that they have somebody like that. And then it hurts even more when Miles Garrett is the person opposite Falele and he's free to use everything he's got to get
4: by him. No, I mean, obviously this is a game. And I remember Patrick McCarry was like their super sub, and I give him a ton of credit for embracing his role to be the guy that, oh, by the way, Patrick McCarry, you're not going to start. You are on the bench but if anyone gets hurt in any of these five spots, you're going in. And he's embraced that role. And granted, he's gotten paid for it. But um, he was already playing. He had to take Moses' spot. And he struggled at times with Garrett. Garrett's one of the elite edge rushers in the game. So you can't you're asking your backup tackle to deal with him. And then later you're asking your backup of the backup tackle or your th- fourth tackle. Falalay mm-hmm. is he's a massive human being, but he does not have the quickness to counter gear it.
0: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket. Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify?
4: And I know at times they, you know, a lot of one things that came up, I know this is an offensive, a defensive show, but one of the things came up was they didn't use Keaton Mitchell. And of course, Mm -hmm. people are screaming out that what struck me, I noticed a few times, Justice Hill was in there because they like his pass protection ability. There were times he was over there trying to help Falele.
3: Well, Um, Mitchell made a very big mistake on a pass block and we ended up, we just scored the offensive line tonight and, and had to give him a third of one of the sacks. Because uh he,
4: exactly the player talking. Yeah, he
3: crossed about. the cone, and he might have gotten away with it normally, but it's like a it's like a, a child crossing the street. You just hope it works out kind yep. of thing. But he, he he crossed the cone and and tried to help Stanley, but Stanley was getting pushed back to the quarterback at that moment, and then he ended up just obstructing Lamar. So, I, I uh, you know Mitchell had done some surprise, had made some surprisingly good pass boxes first couple of games. Uh, in terms of of being more than, I mean, terrible pass blocker in college. By the way, it's probably the reason he didn't get drafted. Was really he's limited to being a two down football player, but he, he's he's turned out to be obviously something very very special for the Ravens. I I I can't help but be very excited about him.
4: Yeah, well, we were, John Harbaugh was asking about him today too, <laughs> and he like I said, I know this an offense a defensive show, but Harbaugh said you know that that was one of the big talking points after the game was like, wait a minute, this guy got 39 yards and 32 yards. And then you never heard from him again. And John said, well, you know, we, we wanted, we didn't want to throw too much at him. It's basically his second game. We're going to limit what he has to worry about, but yeah, we probably should have used him more and that will happen going forward. That's what he said. We'll see. He's a, he's a different kind of guy though. And the speed is not something you could ignore. And I, I can see him not, I mean, he's a smaller guy, but Justice Hill's not a big guy. And Justice Hill embraces that pass blocking role and he's good at it. So I think some of those games, some of those plays in the second half, Hill was on the field to help Chip and help Falele or even honestly help Stanley mm-hmm. um, or or McCary. So that's kind of how you have to deal with that
3: yep they uh I, i'm not I don't disagree with any part of that by the way um Mitchell is a a kind of a natural rule breaker and it's a little bit like being Lamar and having all that juice um he's because he's able to juke people because he he knows how he can use his speed most effectively. you really do want to let him run wild and the ideal play was the one he got the 39 yard touchdown run It was a draw play where they baited. Garrett and the, uh, the defensive tackle on that side to run themselves out of the play with completely undisciplined rush lanes. And it didn't end up being just Lamar running the football, which, which should be bad enough. It ended up being, you know, Mitchell, who is unbelievable in terms of his ability to turn on the jets. And also a uh, very bad angle took by the, taken by the second defender. And I forget who that was. It might've been Newsome, but it was somebody by the sideline I, I, who, who did not take a good angle on Mitchell Figuring he could get there, and Mitchell went right around him, right, right around the corner for three. Yep,
4: I remember exactly, and, and you're right. I mean, that was often the thought was against his speed, if they want to really get up, you know, if they want to attack, if they want to really get north-south on you, maybe the draws, maybe screen passes, get these guys moving the other direction and and throw it over the top of them or whatever it might be. But, yeah, on the Mitchell run, you're right. He makes a jab step to his right that, that freezes the one defender just for mm-hmm. a split second. And then he breaks out to the outside. And the other defender that you mentioned has a bad angle. And it just seemed he – it seemed that defender was not ready for the speed. But that's the speed we saw with Mitchell all summer before he got hurt. You're like, this this is a different kind of thing than they have in this backfield. So. Huh. Let's talk there, for just a
3: second about that because yeah. you and I you know often talk together at camp or at least once in a while and and one of the very hard things to do is judge running backs at camp because when they run run drills they're always these non-contact or minimal contact or touch football contact and the running back runs out the play after it's already dead right and he goes well I got to run to the end zone now kind of thing and sometimes they run a midfield and sometimes they run 30 yards but they but they run a lot more after the play's already been whistled dead and I find it just really impossible without live contact. Uh and that at least means the like the the commanders the joint practices, but it really means I need to see him in a preseason game. So I think the preseason game was the first time I I really came to appreciate what he could bring to the offense. I mean, I hope for it because I hope to see what we saw in college, but to see it actually manifest itself on a pro field.
4: There were a couple of plays, you're right. I mean, you're right. And it, I, I think it's hard. I think all of training camp gets hard. I mean, it's hard to evaluate edge rusher because they're not allowed to hit mm-hmm. people. It's hard to, but with the running backs, you're right. The play gets whistled dead and they run 30 yards and no one's chasing them. So it's hard to see, but I do remember a couple of times in, in, in training camp, like just like an innocuous little toss sweep or something, how quickly he gets to the edge against defenders who are trying to get to him. And you watch him relative to say, just Hill try to do it or, Owen Wright or some of the other guys they might have had in camp. And you just saw a little different gear to him than the others had. Um, and, the, you know, at that point it's, and Dobbins wasn't practicing yet. And so you're like, well, this is, this is kind of interesting. And so I know that um often in training camp, the guys that are splashed are the wide receivers because they make some leaping catch and this and that, but it is harder to evaluate some other positions. But I noticed his, And on the touchdown in this game, I noticed it too. That struck me like that's what we saw in camp. This like making defenders miss on that angle, thinking they were going to get there. And by the time they get to that spot, Mitchell's already passed that spot. Um, And that's what I think he can bring. All right, got to haul it back in here. Talk a little bit about defense yeah, and packages sorry about here, that since we're defense. Hole on the offense.
3: No problem. Rabbit holes are always appreciated. That's what I tell every guest. So, uh, great to have you here, Bo. So, one of the things that's been interesting about this show is we've really cut down the package segment because the Ravens have just been playing two packages pretty much the whole year, base and nickel, and they hadn't played any dime because they've got two committed inside linebackers. They are have them on the field for every play. And they really haven't played any of the specialty outside linebacker heavy packages they had during the martindale era and and some last year with McDonald as well where they might play three four or even at, at one point with wink five outside linebackers on the field at the same time but they they've, they really have not done that because they haven't had enough healthy guys I said,
4: they don't even have five healthy yeah. outside no.
3: linebackers that <laughs> makes that easy yeah. and, now, and now that they do have five you know they're very specialized in terms of run and pass they use harrison yeah. and, and tavius robinson on rundowns and they the other three they really rotate very carefully to try and manage snaps which i think is probably the smart strategy for the season
4: it is. I, I'll say this: Clowney is has been good against the They both, they say Clowney and Vainoy. They they have had more to my mind from both of them they, than I think they could have expected. These guys right. were on the street in mid-August, both of them, and they both produced in a big way. And Clowney, I mean, I know Clowney could have like ten sacks if he could have wrapped up a few. He's missed so. He's been close so many times. Yeah. But he's been good defending the run too. And he's 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 been really and they both they both feel at home here. They like being here, but so they have to be fortunate with the the, especially with Ajabo being hurt again and Bowser's injury lingering and Owe in and out. That they they have to be really fortunate those guys were available. Yeah. Owe,
3: you know, we, we have to say this now has had a tremendously consistent past rushing season so far. He's really been putting numbers up every single game. He's had three sacks and plays only played six games. So that's a, that's a, a fine sack total It's what we'd been hoping all along that he could probably get to given. He only had two sacks in his final year of college, um, but he's really put a lot of pressures. They've all been good compound pressure contributors. Uh, but I just, I, I, I I think when we look at those three outside linebackers and what each has done, yeah, Clowney has produced the most individual pressures, but uh, OA and Van Noy have both been a lot, uh, uh, contributed a lot as well in terms of. No,
4: pressure. oh, I'll go. Oh, I, I, I don't think he had any sacks last year in college. That was a thing, though. I don't think he had any sacks coming out of Penn State because I remember people asking Eric Ticasso, why are you gra- driving an edge, edge with no sacks?
3: Yeah, I think you're I right, remember
4: him saying. I remember him saying, well, it's the speed. The speed will show up. He can. He'll, he'll get there. He'll get. And last year, we asked McDonald, and Mike McDonald said, look, yeah, he probably could have had more sacks, but you have to understand that some of these sacks from Justin Houston or Calais Campbell are because Owe pushed this quarterback right into them. And that might be true. But I also saw from the first game against Houston, Owe played really well. And I don't think the sacks showed up, but he was disruptive in that game. And then he got hurt the next week. So I I do. I mean, I think the people, some of the fans are really down on Oway, saying, oh, he's a bust. He didn't do this. First round pick. Where is he? I think when he's played this year, he's played well. All right. Now get, let's get back to packages
3: for a second. So they hadn't played this at all in the year, but they played jumbo and super jumbo on three different, on three different total plays. And this is very disappointing, honestly, but the super jumbo, they put all five defensive linemen they had on the field at the same time, along with two outside linebackers make that three and, and, Two inside linebackers. That's ten players. Only one defensive back. Hamilton was the only defensive back on the on the field. They had him at the three yard line. Now the Browns have lined up very heavy. Sixth offensive lineman Nick Harris in the backfield. So they were in a position already that they, that, that, you know, they, you're expecting the run, and then they go ahead and and run the ball in for three yards anyway. So very disappointed to see that happen against the Ravens. You know, putting in their heaviest possible personnel set um and and not getting it done there they played two other jumbo packages those were on the final drive as they got their final six yards of field goal reduction distance at the end so those were six important yards the ravens knew the run was coming and they really couldn't do much about it very frustrating frankly that they got all their heavies on the field but some of that may be tiring at that point obviously it'd been a very long drive Leading up to the, the the touchdown on the on the super jumbo formation, and then the the uh, other two, they're like snaps seventy three and seventy four of the game before the kneel down. So uh, uh, it doesn't get much more tired than that.
4: No, and as I said, I mean that gets back to what I said. I just feel like I think they would agree. I think the Browns were just more physical, and and yeah, uh, the the three yard touchdown, as I said, came at the end of a seventeen play drive. And so those guys had to be gassed. I know people say, "Well, the offensive linemen are doing the same thing," but it's, you know, they're they, they yeah. just they were on their heels and and um, they just they got beat. They got beat at the line of scrimmage on both sides all day. Yeah.
3: All right. Well, look at the look at the nickel and the, the Ravens play two sorts of nickel and and it really deals with whether or not Hamilton is playing up. Hamilton, kind of the ultimate in versatility, because you can immediately go to a defense that's very good against twelve personnel by bringing Hamilton up and playing this big nickel, which is, was the primary nickel they played in this game, 49 snaps. When they did that, they had Stone and Williams on the back end, Hamilton up front. By the way, after Stone got his sixth interception. I've been saying, basically, he's not going to miss another meaningful snap for the Ravens the entire year, and he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have been out any in this game, but he was. How surprised were you by that?
4: Well, I, I, I was wondering when I saw Williams was active – I wondered if they would just go with Hamilton as the slot the whole game, and mm-hmm. it would be Williams and Stone Deep and Hamilton in the slot, which which is something they've shown a lot, as you know, when Williams was healthy earlier. Um, but then, when when in, in those other packages, I think you call it the light nickel or the regular nickel, when Hamilton played safety, it was Williams alongside him and not Stone. And I remember what really surprised me was that one of the early plays, I think it was a pass to Njoku when you saw. Williams clearly not interested in making a tackle and look, I'm sure he was interested in making a tackle, but he physically can't do it. He can't use his left mm-hmm. arm. And so that was, I'm, I'm thinking, well, they, 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 he can't be out there all the time. And then, and, um, but yeah, so to your point, I was surprised that Williams never left the field and stone did because Williams, like I said, physically, he's just compromised right now. Particularly when you're in your base defense. And, and Hamilton's not up at this
3: nickel. So Hamilton is back anyway. It, it just, it, base defense, you're expecting the run. That's basically what you're, what you're doing. You put an extra defensive line in the field, you take out your slot corner. So you're, you're, it makes sense that you would have heavier personnel, better tacklers at safety as well. I did not understand why they couldn't switch in and out of that position. Basically have Stone on 100%, moving between free and song safety. Where you have Williams in on passing downs, anyway, frustrating to me. But the but the, the changes they did make were at slot corner, and they actually did play Mallette for thirteen snaps in this game as a, uh, a in the standard nickel or the the others, the big nickel, the standard nickel. They they played with uh, three corners and two safeties, and on those plays, they still had Williams and Hamilton in on the back end with Stone sitting on the sideline.
4: Right, and so that that was you know. It, Like I said, I wonder, I wonder, and we don't get a chance to talk to Mike McDonald this week, but Williams hadn't played in three weeks. He'd been practicing. I honestly, we're not allowed to watch practice. I imagine they're not doing a whole lot of tackling in practice. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how physical the practices are. I, I really question how much, I don't know if McDonald would have known the shortcomings of his actual tackling ability if, you know, if they're thudding or whatever they call it during practice. I mean, they're not trying to kill each other at their own practices. And I don't know. We can't watch it. But but I, I, you could have seen, everybody saw by the middle of that game that Marcus Williams couldn't tackle. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he was on the field for every play, and it's a good point you make about the base. I mean, base defense and it's kind of considered to be a run defense. And if he were to break through that linebacker core, you got two safeties back there. If one of them can't tackle, that's an issue. So like I said, until, until, ha- until, um, Williams is stronger and has that range of motion that John Harbaugh said is coming. He's, he's, he's a liability. Yep.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Ravens had you know they've they've been playing nickel all year that's standard actually just this is all nickel snaps because i was i was calling them different things when Hamilton was really the only cho- choice at slot corner for an entire game, but uh four point one yards per play in nickel for the entire uh, year is unbelievably good, and the Ravens are matching one of the features of their hallmark defenses of all time, and we're talking about any of the defenses since they moved to the three four which was in two thousand and two. Um, They always had teams that could stop the run with only six in the box. You can't do that without outstanding players at each of those three core positions. Outside linebacker, where they had Terrell Suggs, basically for the entire Ravens history of that period. Um, On the inside somewhere, where they've had various players, Haloti Nada, Brandon Williams, other players who were very effective versus the run. And of course, at inside linebacker, where they've had Ray Lewis for a lot of it, but Mosley. Queen Roquan for, for other periods.
4: No, and i and, and you're right. And I mean, those guys, I mean, you know, Queen we've talked a little bit about Queen before, but I, I give Queen a lot of credit. I know there's, he's had a couple of games and you mentioned his tweet yesterday. They'll be better. Look, he's played great since they got Roquan Smith and he's, he's played really well for a guy who was basically told, no, we're not picking up your option. You're you, you'll deal with it. Um, so I give them a lot of credit. Roquan Smith is who he is, um, and they. It, it's it's generally yeah they're they're tenacious, but I I was just disappointed, and they were too obviously with the way they got they got pushed around. I mean, there's just no way
3: around it. It looks like Patrick Queen changed the um, tweet he had because you know I'm looking at all his tweets between November 10th and November you know now. And all he has from November twelfth is terrible performance onto the next. So good for him. Anyway, he he uh, uh, he had something that was a little more specific about his own play before then. You know, you deserve more than that kind of thing. But uh, but anyway, professionalism is it is at a high level, and obviously he's got to be a closer here too. And forget this last game and the three run homer he gave up, kind of thing.
4: No, oh, they all have to be. They got four days, as Madamik said. We got to play again in like ninety hours or something. They can't be. They can't dwell on it, which. On the one hand, you hate playing on the Thursday nights. On the other hand, I think after that game, they want to be back on the field again. Yeah,
3: pitching in the day game the next day. That's uh, that's your chance. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the pass rush talk a little bit about that. Um, this was an area of great frustration for me. Uh, when I saw actually what happened in reviewing the game and honestly it's not something you automatically pick up on when you watch the game on the broadcast or even you know I look at this stuff in, in great detail and i don't pick it up when i'm watching a game at, at the at the stadium or when i'm watching a game on a broadcast that it's just hot read after hot read is is being dealt with but Mcdonald made very u- limited use of numbers as we'll get to in a second only five plays where he sent an extra man the entire game out of thirty nine. Um, But he but he also everything he threw at Watson in terms of deception or numbers, Watson was able to decode and get the ball out hot, uh, get the ball out effectively. And Stefanski also, I guess, in terms of that is really part of the architect of 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 putting this together. But um, it, it, it. I, I, I'm gonna go through. I'm gonna go through a couple of numbers here, and then and then we'll get back at one and want to get your reaction on it. So with with ample time and space is the first one. Ample time and space to to remind folks is when the quarterback has effectively a three second pocket to work with. It can be less than three seconds if it's not going to break down by three seconds. And the key thing is the quarterback has to have the ability to step into his throw. So whereas a lot of other systems, PFF being the primary one. Will not allow pressure unless the, the you're in a certain radius of the quarterback. Mine is you think of it as a keyhole in front of the quarterback uh, that is a cone heading out in the direction of the intended receiver. If anybody steps in that cone, then that's that's inhibits the quarterback's willingness to step into that throw. It also has a chance to you know get a pass batted down, but you don't want to have that that inhibition there for your quarterback. So you want to keep the cone exceptionally clear. Well, anyway. Uh, Ample time and space he had on, let me get the correct number here, Um, nine out of 39 dropbacks. That's 23%. Not not a terrible amount, by the way. Those nine plays, though, he went just three for nine for 27 yards, 3.0 yards per play. So we hit on that um, briefly earlier. Um, Ball out quick is the second category. That means the pocket wasn't necessarily going to hold up for three seconds, but he got rid of the ball before any pressure had developed. 15 times that, 39% of the plays, 6.7 yards per play. That's a little better than average, about 10 yards in total, better than average. And then the third one is pressure generated. The Ravens generated pressure 15 times, 39%. It's a little bit lower than what they've been doing for the season, but still not terrible by any stretch. Um, those included four sacks and a turnover. And only 4.5 yards per play. And I think when you get four sacks in a turnover, that 4.5 is not bad. It's probably a little bit above average, about 10 yards better on those 15 throws. But just in terms of that, that's what I call the opportunity set for the quarterback, is how, how much time and space he's getting in the pocket. And I think that Watson was plus 10 on his on his pressures. He was plus 10 on his ball-off quicks. And he was about minus 60 on his ample time and space
4: opportunities. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, watching him, watching the game, what struck me is, uh, compared to Jackson especially, it seemed when Jackson, when when, when the pocket collapsed or when Watson got in trouble, he was, to my mind, and again, I've only seen the game once, it looked to me like he was able to kind of escape, John Harbaugh called it the escape through the front door, and I don't know if he meant like Guard, center, guard—that front door or whatever. It seemed like Mm -hmm. he was able to escape more up the more up the middle than I, or at least not escape to run, but maybe escape to look to throw more, more than much more than Jackson was. Um, Jackson was seemed to get in trouble. It seemed like the whole thing, the 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 middle sealed up on him too. Um, And so, uh, you know, I, I the thought was the thought was this is a Browns team that's missing three tackles. So these edge rushers should be able to win in those spots. And if Matabike and Pierce and those guys are sealing the middle and Clowney and Van Noy and Owe are beating these third and fourth string tackles, that should be a win for the Ravens. But Watson was able to create, well, like you said, maybe not in the games where he, maybe not, maybe not in situations where he had the time and space, mm-hmm. but the times where he got it out quick or when the times lose was under pressure, he was able to make things happen. Yeah, I
3: think some of this they kind of figured out as the game went along. And a lot of their second half success was a matter of getting the ball out quick when the Ravens were stunting. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Um, three, four, five, and six. The Ravens rushed three one time. Uh, that was at the end of the first half, went incomplete, obviously. And that was zero yards. They rushed four 33 times. Continue to be incredible rushing four, 4.8 yards per pass, which you'll take any day of the week. Four sacks. Four sacks on 33 four-man rushes just incredible to have an over a 10% rate of of taking the quarterback down. And then they had their one turnover that way, too. So that was Hamilton. Uh, uh, they had another turnover on the punt, but they had the turnover that uh, uh, Hamilton uh, took into the end zone.
4: Yeah, you know, that Hamilton play, of course, it's the second play of the game. You set the tone. And I, 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 I want to go back and watch again. I'm sure you have. But it just looked to me at the time like Hamilton maybe – Started off the ball, and mm-hmm. I, I just don't think Watson ever saw him at first. I mean, he knows the play, he knows where the play is. And again, this Hamilton slot blitz is something that is McDonald dialed up, obviously, in that Colts game. I think it was when we had the three sacks. Look, mm-hmm. he, he came a couple other times in the game, in this game against Cleveland, and he, one time they ran the ball the other way. One time Hamilton didn't quite get there, but it's a weapon to have Hamilton. You talk about this heavy nickel or whatever, he's the slot guy. And and now it's on tape there. If they see him on the slot, or in this case, I don't think Watson did see him, but even if he's coming and you want to try to throw it over him, remember he's six foot four. Right. So he's athletic, he's long, and and you know, we thought at the moment that really set the tone for the game. Um, yeah, he's, but-
3: he, for certain he's a looming presence and, and his size and length is an enormous asset in terms of Uh, being able to knock down passes, but even having the quarterback think twice about throwing over him is it's, it's a very nice thing. This play, I want to talk about that just a minute since, since you're on it. Um, He was set off, set up three yards off the line of scrimmage. And he did not remember.
4: That's what I thought.
3: Yeah. In coverage of the slot three yards off the line of scrimmage. He didn't even really run directly at the quarterback and Bryant was on that side. I believe Bryant was the intended receiver. He ran really more right at Bryant downhill um because he was trying to get in that passing lane so it was designed for him to tip the ball and sure enough he tipped it up and then he he in in that particular case it looked like it was actually designed for an interception because he tipped the ball up he he was tipping the basketball player tipping it right to himself that was no normal i oh i don't know if this is coming i reach out and i get the the the, the pd he's had those before and other linemen get them and, and you know they're lucky to Tip the ball in whatever they can. He knew what he was doing. He was going for the for the for the tip ball interception there.
4: So well, it did strike me it, again. Having not, not not seen the game again yet, um, it struck me that I thought he started off the ball and I'm off the line of scrimmage. And so, yeah, you, you might be right. He may it may have been exactly the case where he anticipated. But you're right. Looming presence is a good is a good way to put it. And especially after you have the three sacks against the Colts, where they were not accounting for him at all, mm-hmm. um, when he's there. I mean, we've seen the length is the length is a factor in, in so many different ways because, I mean, y- you can watch the difference from him and Mallette and Mallette's a different kind of slot defender. But um, Hamilton is is a different guy. And, you know, it was it's it's a it's a it's a different kind of toy, if you will, that, that McDonald has to work with. He it definitely is the, the queen of the chessboard is the is the way
3: I, I like to hear it said. Let's talk about some individual things that happened during the game. McDonald dialed up five individual blitzes, still very light on the blitzes. And when McDonald blitzes, for instance, on the Hamilton touchdown play, he actually dropped somebody from the other side as well. Who was it on that play who dropped? Yeah, it was a 4-1 with O.A. dropping. So they still only rushed four on the play, including Hamilton, but they – and. They just were not taking chances with numbers the entire day. But five individual, this is only 0.13 per pass play. That's extremely low. Somebody like Wink Martindale or Rex Ryan, they would literally never have a game with that few blitzes. Not only that. Yeah. Uh, they were all singles uh, on those five plays. The Browns did gain 45 yards. They had 9.0 yards per play, but they had the one pick six in there, which kind of mitigates all of that you yeah. know, potential gain in there. Um, that was the only way in which deception really worked. In fact, that play was the only way, and I'll go through this quickly here. The Ravens stunted 20 times among 15 plays. So stunts. somebody loops around another pass rusher who's trying to dive in, usually in the gap between two defenders. And they did that 20 times during the game, five, sorry, 10 singles and five doubles. Those plays, 15 plays resulted in 155 net yards of so 10.3. All the Ravens ended up doing when they stunted, particularly in the second half. But this is also a true even in, in some of the first half was give Jackson more time to get the ball out quickly because stunts take time to develop.
4: Watson, give Watson.
3: I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not sure what I said exactly there, but yes, you're right.
4: <laughs> yeah, you said Jackson, but yeah.
3: Jackson, <laughs> but it's Watson. <laughs> uh, yeah, 10.3 yards per play on those. And then the the simulated pressures, um, which they, they drop two or more guys off the line of scrimmage. So just dropping away from the line of scrimmage to make yeah. up for a blitzer on the inside, that's not a simulated pressure. But when you do it with two or more, that's really a simulated pressure where you're really trying to confuse the line somehow. Um, They did that twice, 30 yards on that. So everything that McDonald tried in terms of deception or numbers really did not work in this game. And that's, it is a credit to Watson to be able to decode that.
4: No, you're right. I mean, he was 14 for 14 in the second half playing on a bad leg too. Hmm. Uh, And so that is to his credit. I know I, I watch them sometimes not as, closely as you do, but I do think sometimes those simulated pressures are they do cause problems for some of these quarterbacks. They do get fooled by it. I think Gino Smith got fooled by it a couple times. Um but yeah, to Watson's credit, he made he made he made all the he made all the plays he had to make.
3: Yeah. We we certainly hope Watson is not the quarterback he was in the second half for the rest of the year because uh, the Ravens aren't going to win the division, if, they, if that's true. So, I mean, that's yeah.
4: true, and and that's if, if that's the guy, and I, I've been on record saying I never thought he would become the guy that he was in Houston. I thought the contract was crazy, and a lot of people still think that, but I just thought the long layoff, everything going on, and getting older, whatever, he would never become that guy again. If he is, you're right. I mean, they've got a forgiving schedule over the last half of the season, and now they've got the split with the Ravens, And it's, it's a lot of games left, but if he's, if he, if he becomes that guy again, they're not going away. Yeah.
3: Bo, always a pleasure to talk football with you. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Why don't you tell people where they can talk football with you online or read your content?
4: Sure. I'm uh, I cover the Ravens for PressBox in Baltimore here, pressboxonline.com. It's all one big long word, pressboxonline.com. So, reactions after the games reactions after practice reports and so forth this week being the quick week we'll be back again with the game on uh reaction of five impressions i usually write after the game on thursday nights and then press box has a monthly print issue that's on newsstands and royal farms and libraries you can pick it up a lot of different places around town um this month uh i'm working on a story on gino stone this past month i did a really fun story about the um the players in the locker room and how they have college, how how they kind of address their college rivalries and the, and mm. you know when Iowa or Penn State's about to play Ohio State, Harrison and Oa are jabbing each other. LSU, Alabama, the whole locker room pretty much concedes or agrees that Queen is the biggest trash talker in the college of the college. <laughs> and Queen himself says, "Oh yeah, definitely, no doubt, it's me." <laughs> um, so it was kind of fun, but so that's where you can find my work.
3: All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I've really appreciated all the ideas. Got about four new ones this week. I will get to all of you. And this is a great time to hit me up if you want to be on a show because we have a bye week coming up and we have an extended week coming up after the Cincinnati game where I can probably fit in about five additional shows uh, if you folks have uh, things to talk about. If not, I'll reach out to the analytics community. We'll be talking about some of those things. Bo, thanks again for joining me. Quite welcome. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.